Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment. Yes, another Black History moment with Bo. And I'm here to put something in your eardrum today. Remember, in the very beginning, I told you I would tell you things that would make you mad. And I would tell you things that would make you sad. But most of all, I will tell you the truth. Because this is what I do. And nobody makes a greater mistake than the person who did nothing because he could only do a little. Do you feel me? So now let's slip into darkness and talk about some fugitive slave acts. The Fugitive Slave Acts were a pair of federal laws that allowed for the capture and return of runaway enslaved people within the territory of the United States. Now, these acts were enacted by Congress in 1793. The first Fugitive Slave Act authorized local governments to seize and return escapees to their owners and impose penalties on anyone who aided in their flight to their owners. Do you believe that? Widespread resistance to the 1793 law led to the passage of the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which added more provisions regarding runaways and levied even harsher penalties for interfering in their capture. The Fugitive Slave Acts were among the most controversial laws of the early 19th century. Statues regarding fugitive slaves existed in America as early as 1643 and the New England Confederation. The slave laws were later enacted in several of the 13th original colonies. New York passed a 1705 measure designed to prevent runaways from fleeing to Canada. And Virginia and Maryland drafted laws offering bounties for the capture and return of enslaved people. And by the time of the Constitutional Convention in 1787, many northern states, including Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Connecticut, had abolished slavery. Concerned that these new free states would become safe havens for runaways, Southern politicians saw that the Constitution included a fugitive slave clause. This stipulation stated that no person held to service or labor would be released from bondage in the event they escaped to a free state. Otherwise, what they're saying is that if you escaped to a free state, you were still a slave. Despite the inclusion of the Fugitive Slave Clause in the U.S. Constitution, anti-slavery sentiment remained high in the North throughout the 1780s and early 1790s, and many petitioned Congress to abolish the practice altogether. Bowing to further pressure from Southern lawmakers, 
who argued the slave debate was driving a wedge between the newly created states, Congress passed the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793. This was similar to the Fugitive Slave Clause in many ways, but included a more detailed description of how the laws were to be put into practice. Most importantly, it decreed that owners of enslaved people and their agents had the right to search for escapees within the borders of free states. Now, you must realize that these so-called agents were the beginning of the American police force. Anyway, if they captured a suspected runaway, these hunters had to bring them before a judge and provide evidence proving the person was their property. And if the court officials were satisfied by their proof, which often took the form of a signed affidavit, the owner would be permitted to take custody of the enslaved person and return to their home state. The law also stated that any person who helped harbor or conceal an escapee would be fined $500. The Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 was immediately met with a firestorm of criticism. Northerners bristled at the idea of turning their states into a stalking ground for bounty hunters, and many argued the law was nothing but legalized kidnapping. Some abolitionists organized clandestine resistant groups and built complex networks of safe houses to aid enslaved people in their escape to the North. Refusing to be complicit in the institution of slavery, most Northern states intentionally neglected to enforce the law. Several even passed so-called personal liberty laws that gave accused runaways the right to a jury trial and also protected free blacks, many of whom had been abducted by bounty hunters and sold into slavery. So you could just be walking down the street, a free black never been in slavery before, never been in the South before, and be grabbed by these bounty hunters and brisked across the line into southern states and you would be sold. One great case concerns Solomon Northrop, a free-born black musician who was captured in Washington, D.C. in 1841. Northrop would spend 12 years enslaved in Louisiana before winning back his freedom in 1853. Now, this is the same guy that the story, 12 years a slave, was referring to. You see, whiteness in Hollywood will often tell stories about us, interesting stories, but they will not tell the whys and how about the, how the event took place. So the whole story will never be told because it will downcast them. The legality of personal liberty laws was eventually challenged in 1842 Supreme Court case Prigg versus Pennsylvania. The case concerned Edward Prigg, a Maryland man who was convicted of kidnapping after he captured a suspected slave in Pennsylvania. The Supreme Court 
court ruled in favor of Prigg, setting the precedent that federal laws superseded any state measures that attempted to interfere with the Fugitive Slave Act. Despite the decision by the Supreme Court, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 remained largely unenforced. By the mid-1800s, thousands of enslaved people had poured into free states by way of networks like the Underground Railroad. And because of pressure from Southern politicians, Congress passed a revised Fugitive Slave Act in 1850. And this new law forcibly compels citizens to assist in the capture of runaways. It also denied enslaved people the right to a jury trial and increased the penalty for interfering with the rendition process to $1,000 and six months in jail. In order to ensure the law was enforced, the 1850 law also placed control of individual cases in the hands of federal commissioners. These agents were paid more for returning a suspected runaway than for freeing them, leading to many to argue the law was biased in favor of Southern slaveholders. But the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was met with even more passion, criticism, and resistance than the earlier measure. States like Vermont and Wisconsin passed new measures intended to bypass and even nullify the law, and abolitionists redoubled their efforts to assist runaways. The Underground Railroad was booming in the 1850s, with many enslaved people fleeing to Canada to escape U.S. jurisdiction. Resistance also occasionally boiled over into riots and revolts. In 1851, a mob of anti-slavery activists rushed a Boston courthouse and forcibly liberated an escapee named Shadrach Minkins from federal custody. Similar rescues were later made in New York, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. My friends, you will hear about Shadrach Minkins in an up-and-coming episode. Widespread opposition to the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 saw the law becoming virtually unenforceable in certain northern states, and by 1860, only around 330 enslaved people had been successfully returned to their southern masters. Republican and free soil congressmen regularly introduced bills and resolutions related to repealing the Fugitive Slave Act. But the law persisted until after the beginning of the Civil War. It wasn't until June 28, 1864, that both of the Fugitive Slave Acts were repealed by an act of Congress. My friends, what this really means that it doesn't matter that if you escape to the north, if you rode the Underground Railroad all the way to New York, 
you could get off and be immediately arrested by one of these southern agents. That music tells me that it is once again that time. But I want to tell you this. We are not a product of our circumstances. We are a product of decisions. And I am a product of my mother and father's decision to leave the South during the Great Migration and my ancestors' wildest dreams. Until next time, my friends, it has been my honor. <laughs>